downloading today's Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen. And today we're speaking with Dr. Dominic Crouch about the tips for being mentally tough during COVID-19. Dominic, welcome. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. So Dominic, you're the founder of Think, Feel, Perform. Your business consults with athletes and teams on mental skills for performance. What is the constant theme you see with athletes that we don't see non-athletes? Yeah, well, there's probably two things that, um, that athletes differ on compared to the normal population in a broad sense. Like there's obviously finite differences all across the entire board, but the first one is outcomes. So athletes tend to have very specific outcomes that they want to achieve. You know, everyone knows premierships, gold medals, uh, world championships. They're the, the definition, the distant definition of success for, for athletes. Mm. If you asked anyone in the street what their measure of success was or what they were striving for, it's generally a lot blurrier. They, they might know, say, they're really ambitious and they want to be a millionaire by the age of 30. Um, you know, that's still reasonably blurry. You could become a millionaire in a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas athletes, they generally have this clear pathway to, to wherever they are, whether they're a 10-year-old who wants to, uh, to make it as a footballer or they're a, a 21-year-old who's trying to make it onto the golf circuit. There's just this clear definition of, of what the outcome is that they're trying to achieve. And I think uh, the other one which is probably poignant at the moment is, is their network. So... Athletes are generally surrounded by a really thorough network of people, Uh, whether it's their team sport or an individual sport, they have people in positions of support that they can call on to help them develop technically, to help them develop professionally, to help them develop even in the media landscape as as to to how they become a well-rounded person. And a lot of people might have someone they'll call on, but they're not defined roles and it's just kind of, um, this person in my professional network can help me with this, but that person doesn't have an accountability to help you. So you mentioned there for athletes, you know, winning a medal, a championship is the definition of success. Is that a definition of success you live by and what value do you put on winning? Uh, defining success has been a battle for me. So I grew up playing uh, playing cricket and, and wanting to be a successful cricketer. Uh, I think the fact that we're having this podcast and not talking about, um, you know, how I'm not playing in a certain tournament suggests maybe I didn't quite uh, get to those lofty goals. But, you know, it's it's something that that everyone has a def- different definition for. Um, I guess for me, you want something, you want success to be something that's, that's tangible and something you have control over. Mm. And for everyone that's different, you know, statistically speaking, very few athletes actually win medals. If you actually look at, you know, the number of starters in a, in a golf tournament, it's generally, you know, in the order of 100, let's say, only one of them wins. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's people that made that tournament, let's say the, the US Open golf tournament, there's a qualification for that and people don't make the qualification. Some people's measure of success may be qualification and then they get into that, that hundred that start. I think uh, if you look at the statistics, then you can help define your own measure of success. And, and you know, definitely thank my UWA education for, for helping me understand the value of statistics. But winning isn't, isn't an important validation of effort. 
it's it's an important goal to set, but it's not the only measure you can win. You can measure uh, winning or the success that that you've put into a campaign. So for me, um, I think my definition of success is more around uh, the the influence that I have on my community and my uh, hmm. my businesses. So the the impact that I can make on a day-to-day basis is more important to me than uh, than the distant, far-off ambitions that uh, that I really don't have a lot of control over. All I can do is add up my my daily impact to then have a, a greater impact. Now, can you talk about the side of athletes about the fear of burning out because we're going through COVID-19 at the moment. A lot of professional and amateur athletes are unable to compete during this pandemic. Is there a fear for some athletes during this time around, and you know, running around the theme of being mentally tough? How can they be mentally tough during this period of not being able to compete and see those results? And mm-hmm. could there be a fear of burnout potentially for these athletes by maybe doing too much during this downtime? Yeah, it's interesting. Burnout's, um, burnout's one of those things that, that always exists in sport, but probably um, the athletes don't give a lot of attention to. Mm. Like I think if you if you think about the last maybe four years in, in cricket, Cricket Australia and and uh, and their pathways underneath them, there's been a lot of uh, sports science on workloads. So you know bowlers uh, in junior ranks, even when I was playing, which uh, is more years than I'd like to remember. You know, juniors were only allowed to bowl a certain amount of overs per per senior game. You know, now they're they're counting number of overs and number of training sessions and, and all this sort of stuff. So there's been a lot more science put into to trying to prevent injuries and uh, and prevent athlete burnout. And there's you know, Cricket Australia, the the men's team have got rotation policies that have been criticised to to no end, whether because they're unwarranted or whether that's you know something for the media to to talk about. And it creates a, an easy story. I think there's merit to, to both. But I, I think the athletes themselves don't really fear burnout. They they live constantly on the edge of overtraining and burnout. So, you know, to, to be better as an athlete, you have to push your, your physical and mental boundaries, mm-hmm. which means that you're you're constantly overtraining. You're constantly wanting to, to get better. And what, I guess, you know, what tends to happen is that if you do push that limit, it's not that far to push yourself into burnout. And and a lot of the times, because these athletes are used to, to being on the edge, they don't notice that they've gone into burnout. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll sort of manifest in, in reasonably unobvious ways if they're not watching for it. So I think, yes, they're at a risk of, of burning out, but I think they're also... Um, at a risk of not being conscious of, of what they're experiencing because they just want to keep working harder and harder. So that, that would be, I think, more on the, the mind of athletes. Uh, rather than burning out, it's more um, just unconsciously training harder and harder and harder without looking at, uh, at what the big picture is of the global pandemic and, and their current situation and uh, the unknown of when they will go back to, to normal. Did you ever fear burnout when you were an athlete? No, no, never. Um, I think 
I burnt out a couple of times, uh, wanting to be, uh, you know, an ambitious cricketer, um, or what, having a passion for triathlon, which is is what I focus on a bit more now in my uh, in my athletic career, if we can call it that. Um, you know, you sort of you tr- to train for an endurance triathlon takes a lot of time. Um, to play cricket takes you know days. So what you tend to find is that you just keep adding stuff. You keep wanting to to do more and more, um, and then all of a sudden you you notice something that's off, and you realise that you've slipped into burning out. Either you're in a bad mood for for longer than you should be, and uh, or you you really see your your physical performance slide. Those are the signs that that you've pushed from from overtraining to burnout. Mm. And, and you know, athletes are far more educated than they used to be, and uh, and can pick up these signs if they're conscious of them. Which I think is is again the overarching um, theme is that self awareness and conscious uh, monitoring of those types of indicators. Now, something you don't fear is taking risks. Uh, you've learned some hard business lessons with a startup helping students manage stress from school. I'm curious, why didn't it work? But what did you learn from the experience? Well, um, I can a thousand percent tell you that I fear taking risks as much as anyone. <laughs> um, I think the the difference is that the people who end up taking those risks in the face of, of any fear or uh, or caution believe that that what they're doing and the cause that they're um, that they're building is greater than than the fear that. Um, that could hold them back. So they they see that, okay, this is something that either I want to do personally or that the world needs that I just, I can't not uh, take this risk. And obviously um, one of the things that that underlines whether a risk is, uh, is worth it is obviously have you managed the process? Have you got every all your ducks in a row, let's call mm-hmm. it? Um, that turns it from a risk to something that's manageable. Uh, uh, you know, lesson number one: if you if you do the planning, um, then yes, it's still risky. Everything's risky. Um, you know, statistically speaking, if we come back to that, walking out onto a you know a busy road is is risky. Um, but we do things to manage risk. You know, we're all taught as as kids to look left and look right. That's you know that's all you can do to make sure you manage the risk of. Uh, of crossing the road if you if you're going to start a business um then make sure that you know you go through all the different bits and pieces and you know the the business that i started up with uh with school students i learned that i missed a couple of them you know it's it's um it's probably one of those things that everyone looks back in hindsight and realizes that um that they could have done and i think for me that the the lessons I learned was that you've got to focus on all the parts of the business um, coming out of uh, out of PhD programs and university. I really focused heavily on the program I was trying to create. Um, and one of the things that I learned in the last couple of weeks, last few weeks was, uh, you know, was back, back by this quote that, um, that I read, which was the lean startup, which, you know, plenty of people have probably read. But it's there's no facts inside the building, so you get the heck outside. And that was one of the things that you know it took me a long time to realise. But in a business, you've got to be out there, pounding the pavement, spending times with your customers. People, people are in business for people and do business with people. 
So what you need to do is you really need to focus on uh, understanding the people, spending time with them, uh, learning what makes them tick, and then finding out how to connect with them. And that was uh, mm. like the the biggest lesson I learned from that one of those early startups was that um, that the face to face time is a hundred percent going to drive your business uh, much further than anything that that you create uh, indoors. And I think the last point on that is also collaboration. Uh, I, I love the uh, the analogy that one plus one equals three. I think sport, you know, sport is all built on this this principle that uh, you're bigger than um, than the sum of your parts mm-hmm. as a team. You know, you create ideas, you bounce ideas off, and uh, and that business that I started was by myself. Um, could I have done it better with more people around me? Definitely. And I think uh, anyone in business that uh, that can get out and collaborate, whether within their own teams or, or with other um, businesses and other teams, I think. Uh, that's when you really find uh, industries and uh, and groups just power through. Now, your work is also aimed around one central theme. Do you lay your head on your pillow at night knowing what you did that day was valuable? How was this theme created? Uh, I've got an amazing extended family spread all, all across Australia. Um, and, you know, they've got a, a huge amount of faith in me, um, they're all very successful in their own right. Uh, but I remember when I was uh, a bit younger talking to my mum's sisters over in Melbourne and, and we were talking, I guess, about my ambitions, my plans, you know, what I, what I wanted to be when I grew up sort of thing. And they challenged me on what was a safe and healthy definition of success. You know, a lot of mine, having come from being a poor student, was focused on money, you know, not, not for want of being a millionaire or, or being greedy with anything, but just that, okay, I'm now, I finished my studies. I got to make some money and you know, that's makes the world go around most of the time. So, yeah, so that was, that was what, uh, what they really questioned was, was that the healthiest way to, to define success? And, um, and it's, look, it took me a good five, six, seven years making mistakes, learning from those mistakes to go to the point where, like now my definition of success is was that day worthwhile did I you know it doesn't mean that I had to spend nine ten hours on the computer building businesses and programs and bits and pieces if I needed to have a day off playing golf for my own mental health or my own uh, enjoyment mm. I can still at the end of the day know that that was the right thing for me to do um, so it's a really personal um, fuzzy definition of success that has really helped me to to go all right if i do at the end of the day feel like i didn't have a successful day what things did i waste my time on what things really drained me um and how do do i can i avoid them if not maybe you know that's just part of um the human experience but if there are things that i can avoid um then that can sort of direct me more towards a bigger long-term goal do you keep track of these thoughts and questions in a diary? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to my athletes about um, noting down and, you know, developing a, a self-awareness on, on what makes them tick. Um, so, you know, I used to keep a, a journal after every golf game that I played, um, trying to be a, a, an up and comer, um, got to, you know, a reasonable level of success and managed to play, an open tournament uh, in Perth here as an amateur. 
which I, you know, had a lot of uh, a lot of pride in in the fact that I was able to do that. But after each game, I'd keep notes, not only tactically what what mistakes did I make, or technically what sort of things was I working on with my coach that maybe didn't fall together, but also um, what types of thoughts were going through my head while I was playing. Um, and now, you know, I'm not playing competitive golf anymore. But as a business person, as a human, as a husband, as a, um, you know, a part of civilization, you still experience things day to day that, uh, that challenge you. And if they stay stuck in your head, it's very difficult to sometimes resolve them. Mm. And just writing them on paper um, has really helped me to, to think through some of these emotions and, uh, and feel like I've put that to rest. Now, you have a pretty proactive approach to life and work. You're also the CEO of not-for-profit, the Good Chat Foundation. Managing a newly established charity in the face of economic crisis must bring on some form of stress. How are you managing your mental health and what tips would you give others running or volunteering for a not-for-profit during this pandemic? Uh, My own mental health, I try to keep as active as possible. Um, I also try to limit my... Uh, intake of information on on the pandemic you know I, I I think most people that have gone through UWA would also share the same sort of critical thinking where you know you sort of understand that every piece of information has a level of credibility to it you know every journal has an index rating and all those sorts of things that uh, that you learn through your years at university mm. so I only really consume information that uh, that I feel is is credible or um, or worthwhile reading. You know, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I don't necessarily need to know about the ins and outs of the disease. Um, if I'm reading it, it's only for interest's sake. It's not to form an opinion that I'm then going to go and, and use for anything. So, uh, so that's probably the the biggest thing that's helping my mental health. And I think there would be thousands of articles, resources, podcasts, all saying. Um, a similar thing that that it's just about understanding how you react and get triggered by um by situations and information during this time Uh, as far as running a charity well yes it's you know infinitely complex at the moment with uh with a new startup charity that uh that we're trying to make an impact in the community because uh people are distracted fundraising opportunities uh different than they used to be they're not non-existent that's for sure um but they you know a plan that you set three months ago is all of a sudden um almost impossible to enact so we have to be be flexible i think um the the only bit of advice that covers both my mental health and, and business is to have no expectations there's there's no piece of advice that that anyone should give it this moment that, that dictates the right way to handle this situation. Mm. Um, there's a thousand ways to, to skin a cat, as the saying goes, um, but everyone is faced with, with a situation that they've never been faced with in their lifetime before. So, you know, with no end date in sight, with no clear pathway to, to how we go back to whatever the, the society looks like at stage one, two, three or four, you can really have no expectations on what you should or shouldn't be doing. Uh, for us, we see this is an amazing opportunity to take stock. Uh, I've given that advice to my athletes in the in a recent newsletter is, you know, sit there, figure out what opportunities lay in front of you, 
what types of things um, you can be doing, what types of things you've got that you can you can work with. Uh, as a charity, we're sitting there. What have we got? What opportunities do we have to uh, to interact with people? Um, you know, what can you do this day, this week, this hour um, that can actually continue to to drive toward the ultimate goal and vision? Now, in saying that, if there's no ultimate goal or vision, it's very hard to then figure out what to do. Um, so this may be the perfect time for people to sit there and uh, and focus on what it is they want. You know, what's what has this uh, pandemic taken away from people that they realised they didn't care about? They just kind of did that because that was how they, that was their day. Um, mm. So, yeah. So, you know, people will focus on, on what they control, their diet, their exercise, their social interaction. But beyond that, you know, it's really open to whatever uh, your greater mission is. You, you talked about the word control. Is there a lot of people that you've dealt with maybe as an athlete, uh, people involved with the not-for-profit or other not-for-profits you've been exposed to where they can't handle not having control of the situation? Oh, I think I think everyone struggles with that. You, you just have to go onto social media to see people like to... Uh, um, to try and take control of the situation. Mm. If we didn't have this desire to be in control, there wouldn't be enormous comment sections uh, with people giving their opinion and, and trying to, to change people's minds. Yeah. Um, you know, all the athletes I talk to, a lot of them focus on uncontrollables. They focus on their opponents. They focus on selections. They focus on, on things that, that do impact them, but that they have no control over. Um, and, and in business, you know, the, the quickest way to, to kill a business is to focus not on um, what you're doing, what your staff are doing, but on whatever else is going on and pushing and pulling your business. So, yeah, so I think it's, it, it almost doesn't need explanation that people love control, but it's identifying what you can actually impact, what you can, um, what you can make a change that is going to determine how well you feel. Your level of well-being will be dictated by are you banging your head against a wall trying to change someone's mind or trying to, to work on something that you can never actually change? Or are you doing something that, okay, I know that, uh, that as an athlete I have an imbalance in, you know, in my back that's causing the issues. Um, now's a great time to work on, on getting those back issues sorted so that when sport comes back, you know, I'll be more injury-free. That's, you know, that's easy to do. You can, you can control that. Now, it takes strength of character to feel genuine joy and excitement for people's success. Funny asking this question after when people can't control the comments of people in social media. Mentally strong people have this ability. Uh, what do mentally strong people avoid? Examples like shy away from change, waste energy on things they can't control. And how can they obtain and develop these critical habits? I think we've spoken about a couple of things that, that people can do already. So uh, the first thing when we, was, when we were talking about the keeping a diary or, or making notes or sort of understanding um, your own person and your own experience, that's, uh, that's really developing a, a self-awareness. Mm. So... Um, for example, like a, something like cognitive behavioural therapy, which, which sort of is a, a highly utilised um, psychology 
tool is is all about understanding the the thoughts and emotions that uh, that dictate your your performance on mm-hmm. as an athlete or or your your day to day experience as a as a person. So uh, understanding what it is about situations that trigger you to to feel negative. What is it about situations and or the thoughts behind those situations that a seemingly meaningless interaction can really throw you uh, throw you off guard. Um, for athletes, what what they do is they understand that okay, if a week out from from a tournament, I'm already starting to to doubt and question my own ability to succeed in this tournament. Well, that cognitive stress might not manifest itself physically. They might not get the butterflies until. Um, two hours before their competition. But what we try to make them understand is that if those thoughts are happening two weeks, three weeks, two months out from the competition, they're only going to keep building. They're only going to keep becoming more and more uh, intense to the point where you're but- you don't have butterflies, you have like a physical sickness and you know, you're in throwing up before the game because you're so nervous about, uh, about competing. And I think that throws me into my next point, which is focusing on your strengths. So everyone brings something to the table uh, in any situation. Um, you know, it may, you may not have the technical skills, but you may have the coordination skills to, to help a, a team succeed. You know, in, in any group, um, corporate group meeting, there's always people in the room who, um, who contribute by helping the technical uh, staff connect with customer needs, for example. So their, their skill isn't necessarily the technical skills, but it's relaying that information back to the people who need to understand it. So you need to sit there and not feel uh, stressed about, you know, a desire to understand necessarily all the technical stuff and explain it perfectly. But what is your job? How do you become useful in that situation? Uh, and the only way you can do that is by focusing on, all right, this is what I bring to the table. I think, uh, you know, most people are hyper aware of their weaknesses um, and their own self-talk tends to, to highlight those aspects, which then undermines confidence, undermines uh, any ability to control anxiety and nerves um, going into a situation. So that they're the types of things, you know, you're feeding back on, uh, on your self-awareness, understanding that you are focusing too much on on your weaknesses and mm. and not going into a situation knowing from an athlete's point of view that I can beat Roger Federer if I focus on uh, having a really strong forehand. Uh, so not worrying about what he does, but taking every opportunity you can get to to play to your forehand. Um, you know, that's that's the only way you can beat someone who seems unbeatable. If you focus too much on and the fact that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not very good at returning serve, um, you know, then you're going to to really grind yourself out every time you miss a, a return of serve. How, how do we develop that mindset? Like, is there a certain age when we would see another athlete or maybe a colleague at work going, oh, I'm, I'm not better than them. I, I can't do what they do. Oh, I think it, it develops, you know, different ages for everyone, but... It's sort of um, sort of in those teenage early teenage years, you know, everyone uh, develops through that, that puberty stage where they all of a sudden get to that life stage where they start to compare themselves to everyone. Um, if you're an athlete, you probably start comparing yourself athletically. Um, and as, as a sporting uh, community, 
we also tend to have more representative teams start to form at that age. Mm. So you'll start to see people all of a sudden getting picked for, say, an under-13s, under-14s representative team, um, which also coincides with these youngsters developing um, a self-awareness and comparison of, of who they are mm. um, within broader society, but also within their sporting community. Uh, and, you know, drop-off rates start to occur around that time. And by the time sort of people finish school, most people have dropped out of, of sport that, um, that aren't playing for, for competition and success. And I think we see, you know, there's, a, there's a, an uptake of people in their mid-20s when they start to feel like, oh, geez, you know, I've, uh, I've got to give my metabolism a bit of a kickstart and they get back into social sport. Um, but definitely teenage years, we start to see people becoming aware of uh, what they've got in their toolkit and what other people have got and starting to compare them. Now, we've touched on this before where COVID-19 has brought unexpected opportunities. How can we embrace the unexpected and make the best of it? Uh, I think the, the beauty of this unexpected time is that we've never really had anything like this happen before. You know, we've never had a moment as an athlete to almost take a mid-career hiatus and, and reflect on where we're at. You know, you kind of think of off-season at the time that that would, would normally happen. But, you know, you've still, you can still get out and, and do things to improve yourself as an athlete in that off-season period or, or you think, all right, well, I've got to take a month off and then all of a sudden we start pre-season here and, and there's still a, a timeline and a, mm-hmm. an expectation um, of what's going to happen in that period. But now we've got this completely bizarre and unusual situation where, you know, you're not allowed to go outside for some regions of the country and you, you know, you're restricted in what you can do um, here, there and everywhere. And there's obviously no sport. So I think dealing with the unexpected is, uh, is just about taking it as an opportunity and seeing that, okay, what, what do I want to do in this time? Using it for self-reflection, using it for things that, that you'd never have done before because you're in a, a daily cycle of, of performance. Now, developing the skills to do that, that's simply about having structures in place and actually dedicating thought and, and energy to it. You can't, you know, I guess we, we think about the 10,000-hour principle. Um, we can't expect to master too much in this time, but we can start to think about uh, what is it that I've got the opportunity to start putting some hours into? You know, obviously the mental game can be developed without having sport there, but you still need that feedback cycle of, uh, you know, putting those things into place. So if you've got a new pre-shot routine or a new pre-serve routine for, for golf and tennis respectively, you can't really test that until you're under competition uh, stress. But maybe you can start to think about um, and reflect on what you've been doing, where you're at, some of the milestones that you've had and, uh, and taking that. So I think the, the most important thing for anyone who hasn't already started is to give this time, use this time for a bit of self-reflection. Um, you know, a bit of inward thinking, a bit of mindfulness around, um, around who they are and what they're, what they're trying to achieve. And that's, you know, then it doesn't become the unexpected. It's sure, it's the undefined as to, to what the next six months look like. Um, but undefined doesn't shouldn't necessarily mean that um, that there's not things that can be done or, or opportunities that exist. Mm. Before you talked about structure, have you structured your days around how to be, I guess, around your you know your mental and physical health and how to be mentally tough through this period? 
Yeah, yeah. So I actually started just before all this sort of shutdown happened. Um, and I, I'd started introducing a bit of a, an extended morning routine. So I, I finished a book um, uh, sort of later, later last year um, on Benjamin Franklin. And he, as much as there is very, very different lifestyles that exist between, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin's time and our time, one of the things he did in the morning was really had this, uh, this time to, to think and reflect and, and sort of dedicated a bit of the morning just to himself to get set up for the day. Mm. Um, and I always sort of had it, but I was never really structured on it. So now I've introduced basic things like uh, I listen to a couple of podcasts, go for a walk in the morning. Um, I do a bit of mindfulness training. So if anyone, you know, doesn't use the Smiling Mind app, I can, you know, vouch for it. It's three, five, ten minutes of, of just, you know, some basic time to, to just not jump into your day at a thousand miles an hour. Um, I don't touch my phone until um, much later in the morning. I think uh, for me that was something that I learned through my self-reflection was that if I start seeing emails and I start seeing activities, I want to jump into them rather than really taking my time to, to have a bit of, me time to have a bit of time to uh, to do things that I enjoy and just enjoying the morning or the the thing that I'm doing without thinking all right I've got to get through this and then I've got to go to the next thing and then after that I've got to do something else so being mm. in that present moment um, and doing things that that start your day off well um, has really made a big impact on me uh, and I'm sure it, you know has for similar people who've implemented um, rules like that from um, for their own personal uh, well-being. Now we've come up to the end, but one more question. So what are your top tips for being mentally tough during COVID-19? I think, uh, I think we can basically summarize it with three points that we've, uh, we've discussed today. So one is no expectations. Uh, don't let anyone tell you how to manage this time. You know, Think about what it is that uh, that you want to do, that you you feel you need to do, uh, not because that's what you should be doing, but because that's what uh, you would like to get out of uh, out of this time. Uh, number two, reflect on your thoughts and feelings. Obviously, we we just kind of discussed that there, but this is an amazing time to to take stock of uh, who you are as an athlete, as a as a corporate um, person, as you know whoever whoever you are, whatever you define yourself as whatever roles you take in society as a mother as a father this is a chance for you to figure out are you living that life um, mm. authentically and then uh, number three which we spoke about I think about much earlier was focus on what you can control you know it's just purely you know day to day you can't control when the economy starts up you can't control what the stock market's doing you can't control any of those things um, but you can focus on, you know, your own finances. You can focus on uh, what you're going to do in the morning, like, you know, the, the routine that I was talking about. You can focus on the things that, that are going to make you happy and healthy. Dominic, thank you so much for that. Now, if people want to find out more about Think, Feel, Perform or the Good Chat Foundation, where should they go? Uh, so both have websites. Both can be found through Google. And obviously social media, which is, uh, you know, king at the moment. They're both on there. 
Uh, and then, yeah, please feel free to, to reach out if you've got questions, if I can help in any way. Yeah, I really look forward to, to connecting more. Thank you.